and there's a little map there. But today we're actually going to look at what might be called a summit showdown or contest at Carmel, Mount Carmel, that is. And this is located there on the coast. And that'll come into play when we see uh, the actual contest that took place. So this is first Kings chapter 18. If you'd look at it, what we'd like to do is uh, we're going to read the chapter. I have some volunteer readers. They'll come up. I think Caleb is first, right? And then we're going to make a few remarks about the chapter, chapter 18. We're confined to one chapter today. Sometimes it's not like that. Uh, we're going to make a few remarks about First uh, Kings 18, and then we're going to have a visual demonstration um, at some point during our uh, time. And then lastly, we're going to have a practical application, right? A practical application from the chapter for us, for you, for me. This is a uh, this is a, a very familiar story to those of you that know the Bible. However, there is. I found some tremendous practical applications that I hope they were helpful to me and I trust they will be helpful to you. So if we can bring up the next slide while the readers come, one of the things we're going to do different today is while the readers are reading, we're going to read through the whole of the chapter because it is a dramatic display. It's one of those breathtaking kind of things. It's, there's an encounter and there's a divine demonstration of his of God's power. But what we're going to do uh, at, at the close of the reading, I want to see if we can pick out the three categories that are written up there. The double, the devoted servant of the Lord, the decided servants of the evil one, the double minded mass of the nation. Those three categories, you look for them as we read in first Kings 18. So everybody with first Kings 18 and Jason, uh, uh, Caleb will begin. Verse 1. Later on in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, Go and present yourself to King Ahab. Tell him that I will soon send rain. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Meanwhile, the famine had become very severe in Samaria. So Ahab summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of the palace. Obadiah was a devoted follower of the Lord. Once when Jezebel had tried to kill all the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had hidden 100 of them in two caves. He put 50 prophets in each cave and supplied them with food and water. Ahab said to Obadiah, we must check every spring and valley in the land and see if we can find enough grass to save at least some of my horses and mules. So they divided the land between them. Ahab went one way by himself and Obadiah went another way by himself. As Obadiah was walking along, he suddenly saw Elijah coming toward him. Obadiah recognized him at once and bowed low to the ground before him. Is it really you, my Lord Elijah? He asked. Yes, it is, Elijah replied. <clears throat> now go and tell your master, Elijah is here. Oh, sir, Obadiah protested. What harm have I done to you that you are sending me to my death at the hands of Ahab? Verse 10. As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said, he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master, Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass, as soon as I am gone from you, that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he will kill me. 
But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid 100 men, the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave, and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, Go tell your master, Elijah is here. He will kill me. And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Uh, verse 17. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the um, Baals. <clears throat> now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400, and, uh, 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at uh, Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? And the Lord, um, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, <clears throat> I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let him give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord <clears throat> and the God who answers by fire. He is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Verse 25. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourself one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, and, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given to them, and they prepared it. And they called upon the name of Baal from the morning until noon, and they said, O Baal, answer us. And there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they've made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. He is, either he is musing, or he is relieving himself. Or he's on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and needs to be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after the custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as the midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice, and no one answered, and no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to the people, Come near to me. And the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the, the word of the Lord came and saying, Israel shall be your name. And then, and with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as it would contain two seahs of seed. But he put the wood in, uh, and he put the wood in order, and cut the bowl in pieces, and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars with water, and pour on the burnt offering and on the wood. 
And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are a God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. This I pray that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of a rushing rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees and said, And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again, seven times. And the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up the garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Okay, the devoted servant of the Lord. Anybody pick out who the devoted servant of the Lord? Nobody did? Okay. Elijah. Elijah, the devoted servant of the Lord. Now, some would tell us it could be that Obadiah was one, too, but we're going to pass on that for now. It's debated what a a servant of Jehovah is doing in the court of of a wicked king. But Elijah, the devoted servant of the Lord, who's the decided servants of the evil one? Prophets of Baal. Very good. And who's the double minded mass of the nation? Who is it? The the people? Is that, is that, did I hear you say that? The, the Israelites. Very good. That's right. Israelites. Good. All right. Well, this is a very serious lesson. It is, it is a, a contest of sorts between the, and imagine this, the true and the living God and a false God. Now, watch this as we work through this. Chapter 18 uh, begins with a drought and ends with a deluge. It begins with a lack of rain and it ends with a lot of rain. Why was the condition such as it was? God had decreed many years before if the people turned from the living God and worshipped idols, he would withhold the rain, essentially, is what the word of God said. And so we have this contest. We, we were introduced to Elijah last week as he just appeared all on the scene all of a sudden. There's no prior introduction. But here the same thing. The time has come. He, uh, the Lord, word of the Lord comes. He goes and he shows himself to this wicked king. He says, I will send rain. So he goes to send him and goes to speak this to Ahab. But he didn't find Ahab, right? 
he uh, found Obadiah. And they were looking for, they were out looking for water to try to save the animals. As they were uh, searching through the area of the kingdom, Obadiah was concerned that, that uh, he, saw, he encountered Elijah. And uh, he knew that, that Ahab had, was for three years now looking for this man. And, and all of a sudden he's in front of the servant of Ahab, and he says, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to tell them you're here. He'll kill me because the Spirit of the Lord will take you away. And, and Obadiah tells him, listen, didn't anybody tell you what I have performed for the Lord? Look at what I've done. I've hit a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by 50 and it came. And it was rather risky. We must confess to do such a thing. But he did. And so they did meet eventually. And Ahab, that wicked king, he says to, Ahab, to Elijah, are you the one that troubles Israel? As it, can you imagine this wicked king blaming all the trouble on a man of God when they were the ones that forsook the living God? But, you know, that's how we get when we, when we wander far from God. We know, we think, why is everybody always picking on me? Why is all this trouble? God is trying to get our attention. He was trying to get the attention of the nation here. And look at what, watch how he does it. He says, you have forsaken. Elijah says, you have forsaken and followed Baal. Now, here's the thing. Verse number 19. He says, you send to, he says, here's the word he says to the king. You send and gather to all Israel, not only all Israel, but all the prophets of Baal, right? Baal is a false god. And the prophets of the groves, 400, 850 total. They are all eating at Jezebel's table. Imagine all of these in the administration of the nation, they're, they're, they're a bunch of idol worshipers. This was to be a nation of, of the living God, but it had, had degenerated to this. So Ahab sent. You know, you wonder how in the world did they, could they all come? Well, there was a great need, wasn't there? <laughs> there were, they didn't have any rain. There was a famine in the land. So here, the, the, the prophet of the Lord speaks up and the king says, come, and they came. Now, the question he poses to them is, significant. And this is a, it could be a, a, a directed to any one of us that profess to be a child of God. In verse number 21, how long are you going to hesitate? How long are you going to waver? It's the same word that we lead, read later when the prophets, they went up and they were dancing on the altar. Well, that's what the people of God were doing. They were, they were uh, wavering, going back and forth. Who is God? If the Lord's God, follow him. If Baal's God, follow him. Elijah puts the challenge to them. Now, we know from the earlier part of the Old Testament that when, when in fact, it's in the book of Deuteronomy, when God or Moses is recounting to the nation the very privileged place that they had as the people of God. He, he, he says, what nation is like you who has the living God appear to them back in Deuteronomy? And then he says this, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God and there is none else beside him. So they had it historically. The nation had it historically. Who was the living God? And of course, he had worked marvelously throughout their history. But, you know, just this, this question of going back and forth, there's a very, well, we'll save that for the practical application uh, later. But th that's what the people were doing. They were trying to serve two masters, essentially. Let's, let's leave it right there. And you know that happens in the life of a believer. You know that happens in a lot of lives, whether they're believers or not. They go back and forth and back and forth. 
trying to decide, where am I? Who, what, 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 what decision? What, 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 am I, what am I here for? Where am I going? And all of these things, and we go back and forth and we labor. There's this kind of uh, action that takes place in our mind. And so Elijah presents to them this, this uh, proposition, as it were. He says to them, let's take two bulls. You choose one bull for yourself, cut it in pieces, and I will take the other bull and, and, and set it on an altar and so forth. And you call. You call in the name of the Lord your God. And you watch this and what they did here. They says they, 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 uh, the prophets of Baal, it says uh, they, they did exactly what Elijah they said. Hey, that's a good idea. They did exactly what he says, right? And they, they dressed that bull. They put it on the altar. And they started in the morning all the way till noontime. Oh, Baal, hear us. Can you imagine? Now, to you and I, that doesn't make sense. That's like me talking to this pole, right? To try to do something, to get some kind of action out of it. Oh, Baal, hear us. You can see him. They're very devoted because they get up. Not only do they dance on the altar. All of a sudden, it looks like they could uh, sing a, sung a song too. Come on, Baal, light my fire. Try to set the night on fire. Do you think there was any answer? Come on, Baal, light my fire, right? There was no answer. They were like talking to a wall, right? But they were so devoted. You know, they, they, they got up there. And you, you know, you, you, it's, it's amazing. Here they, 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 they cut themselves. That was devotion, was it not? They, 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 blood coming out. Come on, Baal. Can't you hear us? Look, look at what I did to myself. You know, there's a lot of sincerity in religion, is there not? A lot of sincerity. But it's, not, it's sincerely wrong. But here they were acting under this strong uh, de delusion that, that, that uh, Baal was some sort of God that could answer. They, they tell me in other places that he was a storm God, so why couldn't he bring this about? They thought it was a great idea. And so we ask ourselves, as we conclude that section, is there any prophet and false prophets? No, there's not. But, you know, even in the church today, much less in any religion, there's false teachers, there's false prophets that don't speak according to this book. That why, that's why we are encouraged ourselves individually to read and meditate and understand the Word of God. So when uh, uh, Christian television or pulpits or whatever it is is heard, we can examine is what they say according to this. Like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, they searched the Scriptures to see whether these things were so. Okay, and then Elijah's turn comes up. Now, we're going to have a little demonstration here uh, of, the, uh, uh, of what took place. The, the demonstration starts in verse number 31. Uh, Andrew's going to get us set up here, and we're going to uh, look at it and see what happens. So go ahead and uh, set up. We have the, uh, in verse number 31, Elijah, he takes the 12 stones. Uh, uh, Andrew has 12 stones for us. And we have the trench set up. Now, that trench that uh, Elijah did, we're just going to have a little pan to uh, represent the, the trench. So he, he was, uh, and now notice what he says to the people when, when, when he's doing this, uh, while Andrew's building the 12 stones. The 12 stones, of course, uh, would depict the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, this was a nation that was called out unto the living God, and there was 12 families, 12 tribes, but they had 
they had uh, wavered right from the living God. They weren't following the Lord. They were uh, following this false uh, God of Baal. So he says, you build this altar and uh, with the stones in the name of the Lord. And then he made a trench about the altar as great as contained two measures of seed. Now, I don't have the wood. It says he put the wood in water. I didn't have that. But he cut the bullock in pieces. So we have that there, I think. Right? Yes. Oh, good. We have the bull. He's going to be cut in pieces there. There's a sacrifice that's going to be set up. And then, now watch this. This is something remarkable. Why in the world would he do this? But, you know, he had already told him to come near and to see this. There's no trickery here. There's no deception going on. But he takes you, says, you take four barrels of water, right? So we have our liquid prepared there. And he's going to set up the four barrels. And he's going to say, now you fill those four barrels uh, with the water. And you pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And what's going to happen? Now, he does it one time, right? He's going to say four barrels once, pour it on. He's going to say do it a second time. And then he's going to say do it a third time. And there was so much, the Bible says, that it ran around. Now, there, my trench is this little pan that you obviously is going to tell. Something's going to happen to it, right? Okay, it's, it's, it, it filled it up. And it came to pass in verse 36 at the time of the evening sacrifice. Elijah the prophet, he comes near. And again, he's going to call on the name of the Lord God, of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Israel. Let it be known that this day that you are the God in Israel, and that I am the servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. You know, it's a wonderful thing to be acting in the name of the living God, isn't it not? If you're here this morning and you know the Lord Jesus as Savior, it's a wonderful thing to go about our lives acting or functioning in the name of the living God. And how do we do that? We have the Word of God. So here was Elijah uh, telling them to do. No doubt what they thought naturally was, was ridiculous to take a sacrifice and, 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 and douse it. So, he goes and he prays. And then in verse number 37, he says this to the Lord. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and you have turned their heart back again. And then amazingly, very dramatically in verse number 38, the fire of the Lord fell. Now, I just have a match, but there's the fire of the Lord. It's going to fall. And we're going to see what's going to happen to that sacrifice that Elijah set up. The fire of the Lord fell and it consumed the burnt sacrifice at the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up all that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Now, we see here that Elijah had told him to come near. So here they were gathered around this, this sacrifice and they could, they had already watched the prophets of Baal and their failure. These religious charlatans that coming up trying to get the attention of some kind of God. You ever notice in, in Psalm 115, these idols, they have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. They have a nose. They can't smell. But these people are standing up. Huh. 
Come on, Baal, light my fire. It didn't work. But God, Elijah calls on the true and the living God, and he answers by fire. And that fire that should have fallen on that wicked nation that was hesitating back and forth fell on an innocent sacrifice. Now, the chapter closes out with Elijah saying to the prophets of Baal, or to the, to the uh, people, you take the prophets of Baal and let none of them escape, 850. And they took them and brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Now you say, wait a minute. What in the world's going on here? I'll tell you, sin is serious. We think, you know, the Bible says fools make a mock at sin. But sin is serious in the sight of God. And God, whose name is Jealous, will have no other God before him. And here was these 400, 850 total that said that Baal is your God. And they actually had, they were priests. They were ones that would offer sacrifice to this false God. But God proved himself there, did he not? Because after this judgment fell on the innocent sacrifice, when it should have fallen on the guilty sinners... There was blessing that fell on the people, right? The rain, the, 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 the prophets were slain. You say, that's a bit radical. Well, sin has to be purged. Sin has to be purged. It is serious in the sight of God for, to, for, for somebody to stand between uh, the, 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 the people of God and the living God. And that's exactly what they were doing. They had to be purged. They had to be let loose. They had to be killed. And so uh, Elijah, the chapter closes out this way. Uh, Elijah said unto Ahab, go, get up and drink, for there's a sound of abundance of rain. So here was the blessing that was going to fall. Now, notice he says there's a sound of rain. And Elijah went up to eat and drink. And Elijah, uh, Ahab went up to eat and drink. Elijah went to the top of Carmel. He cast himself down. And he said to his servant, go and look toward the sea. Now, notice he says the sound of rain, but there's a there's a gap between the sound of rain and the actual sight of the rain. What what's going on between that? When when the you know, the uh, God had already demonstrated that he was the true and the living God. And Elijah now is found in the presence of the Lord saying, there's I hear it. And he says, to Ava, I hear it. There's rain. Remember, three and a half years, nothing. What was he doing all that time? Well, the, the, the New Testament fills it in in James chapter 5. When Elijah said, I hear the sound of rain, but nothing yet to sight, he went up and he sat on his knees. You can just see him falling on his face. And it doesn't say it here, but it says it in the book of James that he prayed earnestly. Well, first of all, he prayed earnestly that it might, might not rain. And then he prayed again. He prayed again. What was Elijah doing? When he sends his servant back, go up and look. And he prays, go up and look. Why didn't he just tell him to stay there? There was persistence in prayer. God had already told him it was going to rain, but he prayed. He prayed, go up and look. Go up and look. Go up and look. And finally, the seventh time, he was persistent in his prayer. This encourages me, and I hope it encourages you. We're into a practical application here. It encourages me to persist in prayer because sometimes we don't see what we want, even though God has promised it. Go up and look. Go up and look, and there the rain came down on those that did not deserve it. But, you know, before we leave this, I want to tell you that just looking at it as it is, if anybody deserved judgment, it was the people. Because they were the ones that turned from the true and the living God to a false God. But when judgment fell on an innocent sacrifice... We can see in that a picture, if nothing else, a picture of what we read about in the New Testament. 
When judgment falls on an innocent sacrifice, there is blessing that comes down. And if you're here this morning and know Jesus Christ as Savior, you know what I'm talking about because my sins deserved eternal hell, but Jesus died for me. When judgment fell on the innocent, blessed Son of God, the blessing comes on me. You see, my sins deserved eternal death, but Jesus died for me. It's a wonderful, wonderful truth that is born. You know, we can see it. The Bible says, the Lord Jesus says, He opened up in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. There's a beautiful uh, picture, if you will, of the person of Jesus Christ, even here in this dramatic sacrifice. But just a minute or two about a practical application. And I found this exceedingly helpful. Israel, the nation of Israel, was professed people of God. Professed. But they spent their time hesitating, going back between the true and the living God. If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. The Lord Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. And you say, well, wait a minute here. I can't I relate with those people because I don't follow idols. I don't have that problem. I don't have an idol in my life like they did. I don't go talking to some inanimate object to try to get that inanimate object to bless me or to help me, preserve me. Well, let's think again. The Word of God says, the last verse in 1 John says, addressing believers, addressing Christians, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, are we talking about uh, statues like uh, various church groups have that you walk into a church building or you walk into the person's front yard or you walk into the person's house and you see a statue and you're required to do some sort of veneration to it or flash water or whatever you do or you kiss the little crucifix that's around your neck. Is that what we're talking about of idols? I don't think so. I don't think so. But whatever it is, it's contrasted to the true and the living God. That last verse says, we know the Son of God has come and given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. That's what Elijah said. You're the true God. Even in his son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God in eternal life. And then he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, I'd like to suggest that though we may not, we're not talking about here in this passage, we're not talking about strict substantial idolatry, perhaps. But I want to suggest that it might probably be subtle idolatry. What do I mean by that? Subtle idolatry. You know as well as I that an idol is something that comes between us and the living God. And there is this subtle form of idolatry that takes us. It may not be as outright and strict form like what the nation of Israel was in following this this uh, man-made object made of whatever it was made of, but to say, God, this is my God, just like the nation of Israel did in Aaron's day. This is your God. They make a calf, and this is your God. We don't maybe do that. But I'm going to tell you and challenge you that there is a subtle form of idolatry that creeps into the life of every individual that, that gets our attention. For instance, let me just give you this as we close. In the book of the letter to the Ephesians, there's some gross sins that the apostle says to the Ephesians people, 
Don't get involved in these. Don't let it be named among you. Sexual immorality uh, uh, and, and other things. But one of those is idolatry. He says, covetousness is idolatry. Uh-oh. Covetousness? What is that? This is a subtle kind of thing that creeps in, especially among the people of God. It creeps in. Listen to the words of the Lord Jesus. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Right? We want something more. We want something more. We're grasping. Our country, our nation especially. We're, we're, we're told to live the American dream. I was working one day and I, I encountered a man that was delivering some uh, uh, food. Just said, hello, how are you doing? He said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm chasing the American dream. So, so, so many American and many a, many a professing Christian adding stuff after stuff at the things. A man's life does not uh, uh, consist in the abundance of the things which he possesses. But somehow things get in our way. And subtly it comes in as a form of idolatry. And next thing you know, you know, I follow the billboard. If you lived here, you'd be home by now. You have to have this home. You have to have this goods. You have to have this boat. You have to have this house and so on. There's a subtle form of idolatry that creeps in that gets us all wrapped up. Tell me. What is it we sit and think about, meditate about, daydream about, day in and day out? Well, maybe you can have this fashion in your clothes. Maybe you can have this, 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 uh, uh, this style of your house or this, this size of your boat. Whatever. We have these things that get in and they, they, they take up all of our attention. And, and all of a sudden... The true and the living God. He's put to the side. And we have no time for him. There's a subtle form, not strict, substantial idolatry that sets up idols. In, but we do set them up in our heart. And they become something that becomes paramount in our existence. There is a, a warning. There's many warnings in the word of God about idolatry. But it talks about those that would bow down to the stock of a tree or a block of wood. But we may, not, we may not do that nowadays. Well, of course we don't in our nation. We don't bow down to the stock of a tree, but we may bow down to the stock of a tycoon. Because here he is on Wall Street, and I read all the, 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 the investment journals and all. I'm like, oh, this is the way I should go. This is the way I should end my life. We have to beware. Right? That these things creep into our life and they grab our attention and they turn us from the true and the living God. I'm going to just close and say that our God is a jealous God. And do you know that in that verse in Deuteronomy, I never saw this before. Our God is a je jealous God. In fact, he says, my name is jealous. My name is jealous. But our God, Deuteronomy 4, I believe it is, 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 a, is a jealous God, a consuming fire. Listen to that. They're linked together. A jealous God and a consuming fire. Now that spoke to me because sometimes when things get my attention, this consuming fire will come in and just remove it. Because he's jealous. He wants that first place. How many stories? We've heard Brother uh, uh, Dr. Humphreys, didn't he come up here one day and he told us about this nest egg he had. You know, he's up there, what, 70, 80, I don't know. He had this big old nest egg saved up and all of a sudden some catastrophe came. And he didn't have it anymore and it was all gone. 
Our God is a jealous God. He's a consuming fire. He will take away. If we really know the Lord, He'll take these things away to get them out of our sight. He's a consuming fire. He'll move it all away because He's jealous. He earnestly, James says, desires to have us. But we, like this nation of Israel, we, we, we halter, we hesitate between two opinions, you know, go back and forth. Well, I say, I want to be a good steward, so I better build up my bank account so I can have money to give to the Lord. The Lord doesn't need your money. He doesn't need my money. But we somehow have that false impression that if we had more, God would somehow bless us more. God is the one that gives it. Let your manner of life be without covetousness and be what? Content. Everybody lives in one of two tents. Content or discontent. And we're not content. We need to beware. Practical application as we close this visible demonstration. If the Lord is God, follow Him. If the stock market is God, follow that. If the American dream is God, follow that. Don't go back and forth and say, well, and then we make excuses. You know, I've got to be a good steward of my car here because I've got to keep it watched up. And all of a sudden, the little dingy wingies come on the road, you know, buck, 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 little pelt mic, little car. And it's, we got to watch out. I want to be a good steward, right? But we don't want to let these things come between us and get all of our attention off of the living God. So just a, a practical application of, 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 a, of a visible demonstration that the nation of Israel saw in their day when God proved himself. That was the question we can close in. If the Lord is God, who are you following? Who am I following? Am I following the true and the living God or am I caught up in this subtle form of idolatry that turns me? No man can serve two masters. I will hate the one and love the other. Love the one and hate the other. You cannot serve God and money. Our Father, we're thankful today for this lesson displayed in the Old Testament, Elijah and Mount Carmel. It's a wonderful, visible demonstration of your almighty power displayed before that nation. And they turned. They, they turned. And we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. That is demonstration enough. You have demonstrated your great love toward us. Now, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we pray that our hearts may be challenged afresh this morning to not so, be, not, uh, so much be caught up with the, the passing pleasures, the passing things of this world, but turn in faith and follow the true and the living God as we await the return of the Savior. We thank you for speaking to us in your holy word and giving us such a visible demonstration of your power. And may we uh, not be the same as we hear from your holy uh, word and your Holy Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.